Well, there's so many reasons to be together on, on Sundays, isn't there? And there's so much uh, to rejoice in together, to be thankful for, to celebrate together. Um, just love to see each of you here and uh, glad for this opportunity um, to be together and to worship in so many ways. But one of the great things we get to do when we gather is to hear from God through His Word, right? <laughs> When we consider, when we consider what God has done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have much to rejoice over, don't we? When we consider what God has done for sinful, rebellious human beings like you and me, when we consider all that God has done for us through His Son, through the Rescuer, through the perfect life, the substitutionary death, and the victorious resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ, we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? And so, so I'm kind of unashamedly going to start this morning the same way I started a couple of, of Sundays ago, and I'm going to say this, that we, are, we have so much to be thankful for because of the good news of the gospel. We've been saved by grace through faith. We are being transformed by grace, through putting our faith in Jesus Christ, and, uh, and we are empowered to live for him. We are empowered by God's grace. When we put our trust in Jesus, we are empowered to live for him because of the indwelling spirit helping us and living within us and guiding us and enabling us to live for Jesus. So, so in all those, it, because of all that Jesus is doing in our lives, we have um, lots to be thankful for, lots to rejoice over together. And then, as we follow Jesus, he calls us to live out our faith in various ways. And here's the part where I'm going to repeat myself. If you were here a couple Sundays ago, and that's all right, I'm going to repeat myself anyway. I'm going to say, there are ways to express our faith. There are ways to live out our obedience, our gratefulness, our, our, all that we owe to God. And, and some of the ways we live out our faith is through giving to the needy, through praying, through fasting, and then, interestingly enough, there are ways that we express our faith, there are ways it's possible that we express our faith hypocritically. What are some of the ways that we might express our faith hypocritically? Giving to the needy, praying, fasting. Wait, what? That's a little confusing. What gives? If those are positive things, those are things that we can do to live out our faith. And yet those same things can be done in a hypocritical way. If you don't, if, grab your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 6. Love you to have your Bible with you on your lap or pull out your device and open your Bible app and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Use your device if you want. Just don't use it for Instagram and whatever else. Let's get into God's word together. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. And we're going to remind ourselves just a few verses of where we've already been studying this section of Scripture, and then we'll get into today's section of Scripture. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For they, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So what do we think of most often when we think of hypocrisy? I feel like what we think of most often is 
saying we believe something, and then what? Acting differently, not living that way, right? I think when we mostly think of hypocrisy, we think of uh, saying that we believe something and then acting differently. And here's, in this passage, we have kind of another variation of hypocrisy. There's There's an aspect of hypocrisy which looks like this. Doing right things with wrong motives. Doing good things that God wants us to do but coming from a place that's skewed or, or muddied somehow by our, by our sinful motives and heart. Let's keep going. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. This is where we were two weeks ago when we last um, were in this passage. Thus, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we are in a series of messages that we're calling Kingdom Life, and in this series called Kingdom Life, we are teaching our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7. We covered Matthew chapter 5 in the fall. We took a break for Christmas, and this month we are back in the Sermon on the Mount, this incredibly powerful, incredibly famous teaching of Jesus. We're back in chapter 6 here in January, and the, pa- the few verses we just read about giving to the needy, we covered two weeks ago um, in, in a sermon about our generosity, God's generosity to us results in our ability to be generous with others. Uh, In that passage in particular, the needy. But I'll just encourage you, if you weren't here on January 8th, that's one to go back to our website or go back to our YouTube page. I think it's an incredibly important topic um, for us as we learn to follow Jesus in every area of life. And it's an incredibly important topic in our church family. So uh, if you haven't seen that, you can always go back and check out uh, worship gatherings that you've missed messages that you've missed. And, and then also, let me just say, if you missed last Sunday as well, I, I thought that was really fun. We had Tyler Church, one of our missionaries with us, and we got to talk with Tyler about the way that Transworld Radio proclaims the gospel of Jesus into the world, how we at Faith Church can be part of that, but also how we at Faith Church can also learn to live out and proclaim the good news of Jesus to those around us. So again, just critically important stuff that God has for us each and every Sunday. Um, So if you miss it, you can always go back and check it out. All right, ready to keep going? Ready for today's passage? Ready to continue hearing from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? All righty, chapter chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. 
So as we're asking God to to change us this morning, as we're asking God to confront us with his word and and teach us where we are in line with his word and where we have gone astray and following our own ways, we want to consider this area of prayer in our life. And we want to be willing to put ourselves before the Lord this morning and go, is this a way, is my prayer life a way that I live out my faith before God? Or is it a way that I can sometimes live out my faith in a hypocritical fashion. When we pray, is it discreet? Or is it an outward show to impress? When we pray, what is the motive of our heart? What's going on inside of us? When we have an opportunity to pray with other people or pray in public, what's going on inside of us that could cause us to be praying for the sake of what others see and think and hear about us, instead of praying to conform our hearts with the purposes of God and with his character and with what he wants to do with us. What's going on in our hearts that cause us to act this way sometimes? Do we need to sometimes, is there too much human tendency to need to make ourselves feel important and look important and come across important and be highly thought of? Is there, is there too much of that that goes on inside of ourselves where we need to make ourselves greater and in order to make ourselves greater, we might make other people lesser? In, in our sinful selfishness, in, in building our kingdom of one, we've been talking about how we are tended to live in a kingdom of one instead of learning to live in Jesus' kingdom and live his ways for his glory. Do we highlight ourselves? And by highlighting ourselves, we look to separate ourselves from others. We look to distinguish ourselves, groups of people, who's better, who's right, who's wrong, who's in this club, who's not in the club. Is there some of that that goes on in our hearts? Now, this passage is talking specifically about prayer. And maybe as I'm talking, you don't relate to those kind of sinful tendencies in relation to prayer, because maybe you don't find yourself praying out loud in front of other people really at all. And so maybe you don't relate to this possibility of, of being showy, of being outward, of trying to impress others in the way you pray. But are there other ways? Here's, here's where let's open ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit of God to do some work this morning, church family. Are there other ways that you are concerned more about the way you come across to others than than your desire to connect with God and to live out his ways and to follow him? Is it really, uh, what have we sometimes taken upon ourselves? Is it really our job to make sure everyone has correct theology? Is it really our job to make sure everybody else understands the Bible the same way I do and prioritizes the same things in the Christian life that I do? Or are we busying ourselves with those kind of things, distinguishing ourselves from each other and people out there because we're really, what we're really doing is distracting ourselves from what God has called us to And the things that the Bible is clear about that God has called us to as we follow Jesus is that we love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength that we love others and that we make disciples 
and that we help other people find and meet and follow Jesus. And so are we putting our effort into the things that God calls us to, or are we creating issues and, and division and, and strategy to busy ourselves and not do what God really wants us to do? How do we want to be known? How do you want to be known as a follower of Jesus in your spheres of influence, particularly as you interact with people who don't know and follow Jesus? How do you want to be known? And how do we as a church family want to be known as bringing about division and disunity because we choose sides and pick topics that God never said were of first importance. We take secondary and, and minor things and elevate them to be huge things so that we can pick groups and pick sides. Or are we submitted to God, desiring unity, desiring diversity within unity, that we have different thoughts and minds and opinions, and yet we choose togetherness and love and unity? Church family, you've heard me on this recently. I pray that uh, we would be a church known for kindness. All the things that we could that we could distinct try to distinguish ourselves by, or make ourselves look impressive, or want to stand out and make myself look better by making you look smaller. Instead of that. May Faith Church be a church family, a people who is known for their kindness and being gracious to one another, to compassion with those in our spheres of influence, those in our community, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our fellow students. People of compassion. People who love because God first loved us. Faith Church, may we be a church family who is known not for what we're against, but for who we are for. May people that interact with us, may people that we care about who don't yet know Jesus, know of us kindness and grace and compassion and love, and may they not, may, may they not notice that our emphasis is what we're against, but who we are for. May Jesus be exalted through our church family. Um, so, so what's Jesus saying about public prayer then here? Public prayer is okay. He's not saying there can never be public prayer because clearly there are times in Scripture where we see Jesus in, himself included pray publicly. So praying in public and praying before other people is okay, right? We're just back to that heart check. It's what's going on in here that makes me act a certain way when I pray out loud? Am I showing off? Am I trying to set myself apart? Or in my prayers, even out loud, even in front of other people, is my prayer life to seek God, to humble myself before him, to to submit my life to his ways, that he would change me from the inside out. And so the end of that verse talks about going into in your room and, into your, and, and shutting the door. And, and what that's a picture of is, it, it might be a good literal picture sometimes. Go somewhere private, away, hidden, quiet. That, that, that could be a very practical 
piece of advice for our prayer life. But even just, not literally, even just metaphorically, what it's saying to us is, uh, check your heart. What's your reason for motives? Make sure that we're praying because of our own obedience to the Lord, not because of uh, trying to pray other people to think a certain way. Going in the room and closing the door is, is, a, is giving us the idea of focusing on, on the vertical. Focusing on the vertical, our relationship with God, instead of how we are perceived horizontally. Verse 7. That was a long time for verse 6, Derek. You better get going. And when you pray, verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. <laughs> okay, I shouldn't say that. I was about to say, don't answer this out loud or don't raise your hand. I was about to say, anybody know a prayer person like that where there's lots of words? And Okay, but don't answer that because that would be mean. I guess that shows you where I got work to do on my heart too, right? Verse 7 just says, don't heap up empty phrases as if they're praying, as if they think that they're going to be heard by God for the number of, if, if they say enough words. Prayer is about, this is something that I think so many of us need the reminder of. Whether you've known Jesus for a long time and been someone that's a praying person for a long time, or whether this is new to you, I think we need to be reminded of the fact that prayer is, is talking to God. There's no special language. There's no class you got to take. You don't have to use thy or thou. Some of us used to think that. There's no, there's no, there's no you know, one right way. Uh, prayer is talking to God. There's no need for fancy words or formula. It's not about how many words we use that causes God to listen. God cannot be manipulated in our prayers by, by if we say the right things or do the right things or say enough words or repeat enough phrases. God cannot be manipulated by our prayers. The point of our prayers isn't, isn't uh, heaping up empty phrases and, and getting as many words out there as possible. Now, is repetition okay? Yes, as you read God's prayer book in the Psalms, you will see repetition. The stead, anybody know this? The steadfast love of the Lord. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's these places in Psalms where we, where we have repetition. Repetition's okay. Written prayers are okay. Reading written prepared prayers as part of our prayer life. That is good and, and, and a good possibility for our prayer life. The point of Jesus' words in this passage is we need to avoid kind of mindless, mechanical praying where we just go through the motions of repeated phrases or something we were heard once and then it's all we ever say and our brain isn't really engaged in our prayer because it's a mindless, mechanical repetition or we need to also avoid length of our prayers just for the sake of impressing people. Are long prayers okay? Yes. Long prayers just for the sake of getting enough words out there to impress God and other people? Not necessary. Verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What a great reminder. God knows. Yes, God knows. We could say, wait a second, if God knows what I'm going to ask for, do I even need to pray? Yes, God knows, but He also teaches us in Scripture not to hesitate to ask. As children before their father, we children of God come before our father and, and, and we can ask and we can share our hearts and we can give our burdens. God wants to hear. He wants to hear your prayers. Um, 
here's something that, that stuck out to me as I studied this week about the Lord's Prayer, about his instructions for prayer in this passage. I think maybe we too often, is this possibly true of you? Do we too often approach prayer and spending time talking with God, do we too often approach prayer thinking too much about what we're saying and what we want back from God as a result and evaluating God for how our prayers are going to be answered or not? What if we inadvertently at times put too much focus in our prayer life on on what we're saying, what we're asking for, and what we want to get out of it. Instead, what if prayer is more about God shaping us? What if more than us talking and saying a bunch of things, what if God's heart for us to be in prayer is more about us drawing near to him, putting ourselves at his feet, Lifting our eyes to his face, learning to submit our lives to what he wants to do, learning to not just talk in prayer, but listen. Perhaps prayer is more for us, for changing us, for conforming us to God's character and will. All right, so now as we continue in the passage, here's something I want to, want to mention or bring up. Does this represent, does what I'm about to say represent you? Do you resonate with these statements? My prayer life is great. I know, I always know exactly what to pray, how to pray. My heart posture is just totally humble and, and, and perfect before the Lord. In fact, let me tell you about my, I I pray constantly. I'm constantly in prayer throughout the day. My whole life is prayer lifted to the Lord. Does anybody relate to these statements? Anybody resonate with this as being accurate of your prayer life? Not only do I talk with God, but man, I listen. And I really know how to hear the voice of God. I am totally satisfied with the part that prayer plays in my spiritual life and growth. Shouldn't ask anybody to raise hands, should I? Uh, Myself included. Well, thankfully, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here in chapter 6, Jesus continues, and he says, pray then like this. And so Jesus continues now in our passage to teach us as his followers how we can pray. He gives us an example prayer. He gives us a model for prayer. Yes, this prayer can be said word for word. It can be said together. In fact, we're going to do that here soon. But also, in addition to just saying these exact words as the prayer, this prayer is also a model, a framework, a guide for us as we learn how to pray, what types of things ought we to pray, and, and, and what, as we pray them, where does that put us in relation to God? What is that, how does that inform our hearts and our minds? And so Jesus says, pray then like this, because all of us have room for growth in our prayer life. I personally, speaking for myself, have grown a lot in prayer over the many years that I've followed Jesus, but I often feel like this is an area of my life where I want to grow and to learn how to talk with God and hear from God and have God shape me 
in my times in prayer rather than just me talking at him. So Jesus says in verse 9, pray then like this. So we're going to read it aloud together now. Uh, we're going to read aloud together the prayer that Jesus instructs us to pray. And I'm gonna, on the screen is going to be the version of the Lord's Prayer in traditional language, uh, in, uh, in the older version of language. It's, it's not even the same words that we're reading from, that I'm teaching from my Bible in. There's also more contemporary versions of the Lord's Prayer. But I know that this is one that is familiar to some and perhaps memorized by some. And so, therefore, has an opportunity to be significant and meaningful for us. So, let's, let's read aloud this prayer that Jesus instructs his followers to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, so in Matthew 6, as Jesus instructs us to pray, let's walk through the components of that prayer uh, briefly. Our Father in heaven is the way that he instructs us to start. Our Father in heaven, first of all, this is significant and could be a whole sermon on its own. The fact that we are invited to address the God of the universe, the creator of all things, as Father, as Heavenly Father, tells us a lot about the God that we have that we, and that we love and serve. That we have a God who is not detached and, and not far away and uncaring about the world and those, those in it that he created, we have a, a very personal and caring God who invites us to address him as Father. And then the other thing I want us to think about when we think about that first line of this prayer, who are we praying to? Who's our, the audience of our prayer? We are invited to address God the Father. So then, something to be learned here then is that our prayers are not said, articulated, to be intended for an audience of those around us, the people who hear it. Even when we rightly and humbly pray aloud with other people, um, we, we want to make sure that we are addressing God in our prayers. That our prayers aren't, aren't verbalized where we're actually speaking to the people next to us. Where we're not trying to teach or, or give out information or make sure everybody's on the same page. But, but let's make sure our primary focus is that we are addressing God. That we are looking not to impress people around us um, but to talk with God and to model for those who are listening what it looks like to approach God with humility and with seeking Him. And then, yes, there are, it's appropriate at times to pray aloud and to pray with others. And so, yes, they're there, and yes, they are hearing us. But do they hear us address God and then bring others along with us in addressing God? So then the rest of the, 
prayer continues. And the first uh, three aspects of the prayer focus on God. Hallowed be your name. This is a statement of, um, let your name be holy, God. Let me exalt your name. Let me lift your name on high. Let us honor you. That's the heart of that expression. So again, can we pray this prayer word for word at times? Absolutely. And then can we also use this prayer to teach us how to pray, to give us a framework for what's important? And here's in the aspect then, uh, when, we, when, we're, when we hear hallowed be your name, what we should be reminded of is, do we exalt God above all? Do we give him honor and praise in our prayers? The next phrase is, your kingdom come. As we've talked about the Sermon on the Mount, we've talked some about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. It is unfolding now. The kingdom of God is real and it is unfolding now. And, and, and Jesus is king and he reigns over all. And his kingdom will be fulfilled in the future. Someday his kingdom will come to full fruition. His purposes prevail and his kingdom will be established in fullness in the future. And so we pray, your kingdom come. May your kingdom prevail now and may your kingdom be increasingly established and may your kingdom be fulfilled and completed someday. Those are the things we can pray. And then the next phrase is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. May God's will be done among us, in us, around us. This reminds me of the time Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane just hours before the crucifixion where he knows that the Father has given him the task of going to the cross. And his, Jesus is fully God and fully human. And Jesus is fully human is, is, is approaching this calling to the cross and he calls out to God and says, is there any other way? I'm not sure, you know, he, he was not, he, he felt the weight of what God was calling him to. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, just hours before his crucifixion, Jesus prays, and, and, and yes, maybe his humanity wants to be released from that. But then he, in prayer, submits himself to the Father and prays, yet not as I will, but as you will. So in the, in the prayer that Jesus is teaching us here in Matthew 6, when he says, your will be done, it's, it's inviting us to that. In our prayer life, we're invited to submit ourselves to God's direction and guidance and reality over our own preferences and comfort and what we would prefer. Do we submit ourselves and say, God, your will be done in my life? So, so far, those, those aspects of the prayer have been focused on God and have submitted us to his, seeing his glory, his kingdom reign, and his purposes prevail in our life. And now, the next three aspects of the prayer shift kind of to our personal needs within our community of faith. The next expression, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. So this is pretty simple, asking for sustenance. Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, food, but also God's provision of our basic needs, our basic physical needs and our spiritual needs. The idea here is 
are we depending on God for all that we need? Give us, Father, give us today our daily bread. Paul Tripp um, warns that the danger for us here becomes, I think, when we accidentally make our wants into needs. We can trust that God will provide our needs. All of our physical and spiritual needs will be provided by our Father. But when we accidentally take things that are wants and desires and put them in the place and call them needs, now we're setting ourselves up to be disappointed in God when he doesn't meet our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. The idea here is, are we reliant on God for all we need? And, and, and can we be concerned about what we need only a day at a time, one day at a time, trusting the Lord to provide what we need? Verse 12, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. From the time that you are saved, from the time, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you have come to the end of yourself and realized you can't save yourself and you have entrusted yourself to Jesus, recognizing that he is the Son of God, the rescuer of the world, and we have given ourselves in faith to Jesus, from the point that you are saved, from the moment of your conversion, you have been made right with God. Sinful and rebellious human beings connected and made right and put back in relationship and adopted into the family of a holy and perfect God. Amen? From the moment that you are saved, you have been made right with God and are forgiven of your sin. And yet we know, as followers of Jesus, that our, our experience in this world is one of continued ongoing sin issues, and I continue to rebel against God, I continue to go my own way, and in doing so, my, my relationship with God is, is kind of muddied or marred, and, and so my relationship, while I'm forgiven, while I've already received salvation, while I'm ultimately forgiven and brought into his family, my sin does hinder my relationship with God. And so verse 12 invites us to confess our sins and to ask for forgiveness, to come regularly before God, regularly and consistently in our prayer life, saying, forgive us our sins. I have strayed from your best. I have gone against your ways. I have chosen kingdom of one instead of living in the kingdom of Jesus. Forgive me, Father. We are to ask God to forgive us. Verse 13. And here's where the Jesus is instructing us to pray concludes. Verse 13 says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, a couple of clarifying points because this phrase can get a little confusing. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First of all, the word that's translated temptation there can also indicate testing. And we know from elsewhere in Scripture, like James chapter 1, verse 13, that God does not tempt us. We do not have a God who, who tempts us, who tries to mess with us and get us to sin. So that's not what's happening here. When we pray and lead us not into temptation, the idea of this prayer is, God, give us relief um, from testing. You, you know, the experiences of my life are challenging, and, and, and I'm, 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 I'm under testing Give me relief from that. Or, or, Father, may this testing in my life 
not result in temptation that causes me to fall into sin. It's not that God is tempting you to sin. It's that we're asking him to, to, to strengthen us in our times of testing that it not turn into temptation and falling into sin. And then lastly, I think it's important just to cover and think about this topic here. The end of that phrase in verse 13 is, but deliver us from evil. And as we consider how Jesus wants us to pray, as we consider, as we consider the significance of prayer in our life, then we have to think carefully about the reality of the spiritual war that is going on in the unseen realm. That we need Jesus. That we need to be in communion and prayer and in fellowship with our God through prayer because we are engaged in a war between the powers of evil and the powers of good. So in, the, in verse 13, when we are to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we are acknowledging the reality of evil. In fact, in the original language, in the Greek that this was translated from, where it says from evil, there's actually a definite article, the. We could translate it, deliver us from the evil one, Satan. Yes, there's definitely, a, this also could just definitely be talking about general, from, deliver us from evil in general, or specific, and or specifically deliver us from the power of the evil one. Because the Bible teaches us that Satan is a real enemy, that he, he prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan would love to turn your difficulties, Satan would love to turn your challenges, your times of testing, into a situation where you would fall into temptation and then sin. He would love that. We are in a battle of good versus evil. We are in a battle for our souls. We know who wins in the end. And even now, even though Satan has an ability to disrupt and he prowls and he, and, he, and he disrupts and he roars, even now he's under the thumb of God. And at the end, he'll be thrown in the pit of despair. But we live in a world engaged in spiritual warfare. And so this prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, deliver us from evil. 1 John 4.4 4 reminds us that he who is in you, follower of Jesus, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, Satan. He who is in you, Jesus, is greater than the disruptor, the liar, the deceiver that is in the world. So we pray, deliver us from evil. All right, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here, please. And instead of me closing in prayer, we will close in prayer together in a moment using the words of this prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. So let me just, let's give a moment for the worship team to come back up here. And then let me just say a couple concluding things before we pray this prayer together. First of all, here's where we started, church family. We started back in verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness. So remember here the idea is beware of living out your faith in a hypocritical way. Beware of living out the ways that God is at work in you in a hypocritical way. Namely, 
beware of living out your faith where you're more concerned about what other people think about you, the horizontal, than you are submitting yourself vertically to our Heavenly Father. Prayer is not for showing off or making ourselves better than others. It's not for posturing. It's not for appearing religious. Jesus teaches us to pray here, and he's inviting us into his prayer life. He's inviting us into what he has modeled for us. Jesus, God himself, living on this earth, encountered many difficulties and trials and pain and suffering, and he went aside to pray. God himself, walking the earth, Jesus, needed to connect with the Father, needed times in prayer. So prayer is for us to humble ourselves before our God, to recognize our need, to express our total reliance on him, and not just for us to express things to him. Yes, he's listening. Yes, we can express things to God. But I think even more, as Jesus invites us to pray, he's inviting us to put ourselves before God and for our hearts and minds and lives to be aligned with and conformed to the greatness and of the character of our mighty God. Not that prayer is, is what we get or what we do or what we're hoping for, but that prayer is aligning us with our Father in heaven. So let me invite you to stand, if you would, and let's pray together the prayer that the Lord instructs us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.